Hello again, and welcome back to the show. I'm John from pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm still thankful that you are listening. Can the Bible be trusted? Great question. And it's not one that we should shy away from. And we were exhorted last week by Jamie, rather by the Word of God that Jamie referenced, that our faith is not one based on blind hope, but is called to work through such challenging questions. So we continue to give an answer for the hope that lies within. So join us as Jamie and I continue to have a conversation about whether or not the Bible can be trusted. But do we have the exact same thing, or, or did some get lost along the way? You know, uh, there's a, a word called the canon of Scripture. And again, if I were to re reveal my ignorance, maybe as a younger man, I was excited thinking, all right, we're now getting into ballistics. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about some canons, yeah, but well, a different type of canon. But I'm familiar with the concept that not all canons are the same, depending on what religious group is using them. So do we have all of the books of the Bible? Uh, yes, I believe that we do. And, you know, the the Old Testament, I think, is is pretty easy to demonstrate because Jesus talked about the Old Testament and he uh, um, approved from it. He acknowledged it. He quotes from it. He, uh, he talks about its individual parts and he talks about it as a whole. He talks in Luke chapter 24 and verse 44 about the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, talking about the various divisions of the Old Testament. And he said in John chapter 10, 35, that the scripture cannot be broken. In Luke 24, verse 44, we've already referenced, he said it, that it must be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And he said, till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18. Okay. So uh, from that, we can see if we believe Jesus, then uh, he accepted the Old Testament uh, as it was handed down. Right. And uh, so we can accept those 37 books as well. As far as the, the New Testament, uh, now our Catholic friends will often say that they, the, the Roman Catholic Church, canonized the New Testament by vote in the Council of Trent in 1546. Uh huh. Now, in reality, it is not the church that defines the canon of the Bible, but the canon of the Bible that defines the church. Ooh. I'm getting goosebumps. That I like that phrase. It's not the church that defines the canon. It's the canon that defines the church. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is that it's not up to the church to decide what books are inspired by God. God inspired books of the Bible that tells the church how to operate, that it can exist, how to worship, and how to function every day in every aspect. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. the book that governs the church, not the church that governs the book. We are a Bible-based people. Bible is not a church-based book. And so by the time the canon would be complete, they would have this confidence that God has spoken. It, it, it wouldn't be like 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 30, I believe 32, 33 says that God is not the author of confusion, mm -hmm. but of peace. He wouldn't leave a document where everybody's scratching their head immediately. But he would require that we work, we seek to know the truth, and that it's not just handed to us on a silver platter where, you know, we're these spiritually lazy people. We have to 
as we talked about at the very beginning, very beginning of this episode, we have to reason right. through things. Right. We ha- our faith has to be reasonable, not one that's built on blind trust. Yeah, I think you make an. Imp- that's my soapbox moment for the day. <laughs> I think you make an important point that um, when we talk about do we have the all the books of the New Testament, we have to remember that the apostles were alive when these books were um, being written for because for the most part they were the ones writing it and as well as the the holy apostle uh, the holy prophets and they would would be able to explain to the churches which books were um inspired and which weren't and, and that's when we look at church history we have writings from the early church fathers as they're known the mm-hmm. leaders in the early church mm-hmm. we see in their writings that the church recognized that these 27 books that we have were different because they are inspired. And, you know, there's many other um, documents uh, from uh, the early centuries uh, that claim to be inspired, such as the Gospel of Nicodemus of Barnabas, the Epistle of Paul to the Laodiceans, and the Apocalypse of Stephen. But these, they're not not inspired books. And you can tell uh, both from the testimony of the early church fathers and just by looking at these books because... They're either inconsistent, inaccurate, or they're just downright blasphemous. You know, some people might think that self-validation is not worthy of consideration. But if we can't know what the Bible says about itself or any document, you know, anything that makes a claim, if you're not going to at least hear it out on what it has to say, you won't know what it's saying. Right. And so I'm wondering if we should know what the Bible has to say about itself in, in regards to inspiration, etc., well, I think that's right, because um, we need to know what it claims about itself to test those claims. Okay. And if, if it doesn't say that it's inspired, then um, we're kind of wasting our time here. <laughs> well, m- maybe give me some simple claims that the Bible makes so that we can test them. Okay. Well, let's let's start off with what the Bible says about God just very briefly. Okay. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, we read that God knows all things. Okay. Romans sixteen twenty seven. we read that God alone is wise. And Titus 1, 2 says that God cannot lie. Okay, what do we get from that? We get a God who knows everything, who has wisdom above anyone. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, when he shares that, he can't lie. So when he speaks, it is with all knowledge and with all wisdom and contains no falsehood at all. Okay, so the Bible's claim then is that God will always tell you the truth. Yes, and he is always in the position to know the truth. He can't be mistaken. Okay. So, having said that, when we get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul makes uh, a claim about uh, what the the Bible is. Um, So, you can read uh, verses 14 through 17. Sure. It says... But you must continue in the things which you've learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So... Paul kind of has two sections in these few verses. He's talking to Timothy about the sacred writings that he had learned from childhood, which, you know, at the time of writing, um, Paul was writing 
one of the books of the New Testament in Second <laughs> right, Timothy. Right. So the, the, the works that Timothy had known from childhood were obviously the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so he, uh, Paul calls them scriptures. Um, but then he makes a distinction between those scriptures and all scripture in verse 16. He said that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay. So the claim that Paul is making is that the, the Bible, the 66 books that we have, was given by inspiration of God. God uh, spoke to uh, the holy apostles and the prophets, mm-hmm. and they wrote down those words of God. That God who it knows all things, right. who alone is wise, right. and who cannot lie. Okay. So then, if God cannot lie and he will always present the truth, then the scriptures, which are his recordings, will contain truth. Yes. So that's the next step in this, is suddenly what the Bible is claiming about itself is it is indeed the truth of God. Yes. Okay. So fundamentally, the Bible is claiming the question that we're asking. Is it trustworthy? The Bible is claiming, yes, it is trustworthy. Okay. And, you know... Um, we already talked about Second Peter chapter three. Oh, I'm sorry, I stepped where, on your. I'm sorry, I took away, I took the thunder out of it. <laughs> it's, it's it's synergy. It's a callback. <laughs> Peter says that um, Paul's writings are scripture. Right. So it's not just the Old Testament that's under consideration. The New mm-hmm. Testament is considered mm-hmm. scripture in scripture, just as much as the Old Testament is. Right. And in, therefore inspired by God. In addition to that, what? does Paul say about other books in the New Testament? So Paul says that uh, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. And he also says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 5, just the very next chapter, that the mystery has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit um, revealed the mysteries of God to mm-hmm. the apostles and prophets, mm-hmm. and now the church is built upon that foundation of the revealed will of God uh, to these men. And so that's why this kind of circles back to what you said earlier, that the canon of the scripture defines the church and not the church defining what scripture is. Because script, the scriptures are the ones that have built the framework of what the church is to be. Absolutely. That okay. is, that's right. That makes sense. Well, is it possible that God's providence, God's authority, you know, his inspiration, could it be thwarted? You know, could could some crafty person somehow get a hold of a document, change it, and then that just mess up the entire system of faith for generations into the future? Well, I think that's a really good question. Uh, let's go back to the scripture to see what it testifies of itself and about God. Uh, let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, mm-hmm. where Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he says about Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified mm. and put to death. Mm-hmm. Now, the point is that God has both the foresight and the power to have Jesus in a position where he can be not kill himself, but be killed by others right? so that he can be the atoning sacrifice for all mankind. I heard one man say recently, they thought they had God's back to the wall, but they didn't know that he had led them there himself. Exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> a very good way of putting it. Um, and let's, let's look at Job chapter 40 
I want to read a few verses here. Okay. You know, this is towards the end of the book where there's been arguments between Job and his friends and the the debate's gone this way and that. And now God's answering the charge mm-hmm. both from Job and his friends about his sovereignty. And maybe we, you, you could read that for us. Job chapter sure. 40 verses 6 through 14. Yes, sir. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. I just need to pause to say, I don't know how Job endured this. I think I probably would have just fell over and died with that (laughs) (laughs) initial statement from the Lord. So the fact that he's able to endure it is simply amazing to me. Verse 8, would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor, and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then I will confess to you that your own right hand can save you. I think this is a very powerful verse. And and this goes on for um, several chapters, God's answer to Job. And basically he's he's telling Job, who are you to question my sovereignty? And God is uh, explaining to Job the power that he has Mm -hmm. and the majesty that he has and the ability to control things and to uh, have his purpose be fulfilled. And I think that answers that question very well, that if God wanted his word to be accurately preserved, which he did, uh, wouldn't he be able to ensure that it was? I think, again, the answer is he did. We've spoken earlier about how the Bible gets a unfair amount of skepticism or criticism while other documents which have less quantity and quality are lauded or regarded as valid or truthful or honest or used, the Bible, although it has a greater quantity and and quality of documents from the past, is often looked at with skeptical eyes. Hopefully, what a skeptic would be able to accomplish, maybe after listening to this or or at least considering the information that's present, to maybe have the, the seeds of faith that if there was a God, and if this God did write something down, if there was a God who was able to be all-knowing, and then he would find a way for his word to be communicated to man. So hopefully a skeptic would be able to look at some of these things that have been said so far and say, if, if there is a God and he operates this way, then I should be able to trust these things that are said. I think we circled back around to the beginning. Well, we've we've just looked at what the Bible testifies about itself, and maybe that by itself isn't enough to uh, convince a skeptic. But the Bible has testified that God has the power and the um, will to preserve his word so that it can be understood and reasoned with. And we've looked at historical evidence that not only is the Bible just as trustworthy as other documents from, from antiquity, it is many, many times uh, more trustworthy just from empirical evidence. Right. We've got so many more manuscripts that are uh, uh, so much closer to the actual date of writing 
than any of, the, of these other uh, manuscripts that mm -hmm. we, we trust mm -hmm. and we learn from and we accept. You know, th this is a good segue into my next question. Um, so yes, it is kind of circling around itself. The Bible is saying these things about itself. And so a skeptic would be able to say, yes, I admit that when I look at this evidence within the Bible, the things that it's saying about itself, I, I get it. The Bible is claiming that it comes from God, that it has truth, and that uh, there is a specific way and pattern to follow. But the skeptic might then say, but it's all, it all falls apart if it's not true. Mm -hmm. And so the, the question could be asked, can we trust what these authors wrote to be true? Um, and I think that's a fair question. And I want to propose a series of eight tests. And we're going to focus mostly on the, the New Testament here. Uh, as Christians, that's what we follow um, and is most important to us. Um, and as we've already mentioned, mm -hmm. that if we can prove the New Testament to be true, then um, Jesus uh, claims the Old Testament to be true, so that follows. Right. I, I get that. I follow that line of reasoning. If we can prove the New Testament then we would trust Jesus. Jesus claimed the Old Testament. I get that. Okay, so what are, what are the tests? Okay, well, let's look at uh, the intention test, first of all. Uh, did the gospel writers, and you know, we're going to focus mostly on the gospels because this is about the life of Jesus. Sure. Uh, did the gospel writers intend to accurately write the truth? So let me maybe hash out that question a little bit. I imagine you have some scriptures that you're going to use to answer it. Did they write this to try to trick people or to make them maybe hide the truth from what really happened? They try to change the story so that maybe they could stay in power or get rich or whatever human motive. So did they intend to accurately write the truth? What's the answer? Well, the answer is yes. We're reading Luke chapter 1, um, starting in verse 1. It says, Inasmuch as uh, many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having uh, had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, mm -hmm. that you may know the certainty of these things in which you are instructed. Luke begins his letter with this purpose. I need to tell you accurately what happened. Mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. what else? Uh, let's look at uh, John chapter 20 and verse 31. John 20 verse 31 says, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So um, John states that his purpose is that people may believe in Jesus. In order for that to be accomplished, um, the information that he uh, conveys needs to be accurate and checkable. He, okay. He, he needs, uh, we need to be able to check the information if uh, we are to believe the Gospel of John. Okay, that's the first test, the intention test. What did they intend? And yes, it does seem to indicate that the Gospel writers intended to just tell what they had seen, the, the, to explain as witnesses what went on during that time. What's our next test? Well, let's look at the ability test. Okay. Were, were the writers able to accurately record history? Did they have the ability to okay. do what they intended? Well, did they? Well, yes, because all the New Testament writers were contemporaries with Jesus. They were all alive while Jesus uh, was on the earth, and 
many were eyewitnesses. And those who weren't eyewitnesses were closely associated with someone who was. Luke was a traveling companion of Paul, and uh, Mark was, uh, uh, according to um, early church tradition, he was the translator uh, and companion of, uh, of the Apostle Peter. I'm thinking about 1 John chapter 1, verses 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked at and touched with our hands concerning the words of life. Uh, He's opening his remarks by answering the ability test. Do I have the ability to write about this? Of course I do, because I saw it. I heard him. I touched him. I touched the nail-scarred hand. So he passes this ability test with flying colors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I believe that uh, the Apostle Peter says a similar thing, Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. Uh, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then he says in verse 18, we ourselves heard it. We heard the utterance. Yeah, that, that ability test, Peter, like John, confirms we were there we saw it that's amazing now besides intention and ability what else can we use to help us trust these authors i'm already trusting them i mean i'm biased yeah i'm trusting them based on these first two tests they passed it with flying colors what's next well what about the character test are these truthful people are they trustworthy people okay how do we answer that well Let's look at the teachings of Jesus. Jesus demands complete allegiance and utterly righteous living from his followers, more so than uh, any other uh, age in history. Mm -hmm. And there is no reason to think that the men who followed him and proclaimed his teachings and died gruesome deaths for him would deny him by being untruthful. Yeah. Jesus demanded truth from his disciples and to do anything but in recording his teachings would be to deny him. And I think that fits very well with what we've kind of opened this episode with about being reasonable in our faith. It's reasonable to conclude that if you're willing to die for it, you believe that it's true. Yes. And if somebody was a a fanatic who didn't know who Jesus was, we would say, well, you know, they were just, it was some sort of emotional connection. But these were the people who had walked with him. Mm -hmm. They'd seen him, they'd touched him, they'd heard him, they'd everything about it, and if they're willing to put their life on the line, then that either they were all crazy or they were all true. Yes. And the ability test and the intention test lead me to believe that these are not people who have psychotic tendencies, but were normal people who had just been changed radically by Jesus Christ. Besides character, ability, and intention, what other kind of test do we have? Well, we've got the consistency test. As particularly with the Gospels, we've got four different accounts of Jesus' life and of Jesus himself. Okay. So I, I guess really, firstly, we need to ask the question, uh, why aren't the um, four Gospels exactly the same? Right. I was thinking that, you know, they're consistent, but at the same time, I feel like I can read different things in each one. So why aren't they exactly the same? Why not just have one Gospel story? Why not have one gospel story indeed? Do you want to know the answer to that question? Well, I invite you to come back next week. Lord willing, Jamie and I will continue in this conversation, wrapping it up actually, 
about whether or not the Bible can be trusted. And I hope the evidence is that the Bible and uh, sources outside of the Bible have lifted your faith so far. We'll continue next week discussing some of these tests that will help anyone around the world see that the Bible, we can conclude reasonably, comes from God and is worthy of our trust. Until then, you can go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com. Check out the resources that are there. I say it every week because I believe in the power of what these resources can do for you personally and in your Bible studies with others. Go check it out. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you.